this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to the Jay Allen Show. We are coming to you live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Hopefully everything is going well in your neck of the woods. Yes, definitely some interesting times that we're living through. Well, today, 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 it's all about conversations and that's what we do here on the Jay Allen Show. And today is no different. I'm going to tell you today is going to be one of these conversations that I hope you enjoy. Now, I will tell you this conversation is pre-recorded. The reason that I'm telling you this is because the time difference was so huge that I had to record this thing ahead of time and we were not able to do it live on the radio station. So I want you to know exactly what's going on. But today, today, I've been looking forward to this moment for several weeks. It took some time to get this done, but man, it finally did, and I was super excited during the interview. I had the opportunity of speaking with Lucas Scrobot. If you're not familiar with Lucas, Lucas has his own show known as the Lucas Scrobot Show. Anyways, Lucas is an author, a podcaster, a strategist helping people change and making their brands active among their tribe. Lucas actually is based out of United Arab Emirates. So that's why the time changed and we had to do some of this stuff earlier than expected. Anyway, so we've been sitting on this one. I'm super excited about getting this started. So take a listen here today with my interview with the Lucas Scrobot here on the Jay Allen Show. And now I, I love your strategy of, and I'd love to hear more about it. Um, you have decided to move radio first rather than podcast platform, you know, RSS feed first. What has been some of, like, what's some of your journey? I know I'm flipping this on its head. I was going to say, Lucas, you're, you're on here and you're flipping on me. I'm, I'm flipping, but you know what the, <laughs> I have found in, in all of my interviews that the most enjoyable interviews is when the interviewee begins to flip the conversation on its head and it's actually a two-way rather than you know the person just sitting waiting for the next question so well well here's the funny part all of my people already know about me i'm so interested in you which kind of is the is the other point here because (laughs) let's be realistic the people that are not going to know the behind the scenes thing i've been waiting for about 42 days for this thing Mm. because we we had some plans and then some things had to change Uh, you had a studio yeah. Uh, you know, a studio change that you had going on. Yeah. And then when we try to schedule again, I had something going on in that particular day. So we're 42 days in. And believe me, I've been looking at this for quite some time. Wow. I'm I'm very impressed that you have a day count on how many days that we are in. <laughs> I just know like, oh my goodness, it has been weeks now and uh, we need we need to make this happen. Um, but yeah, moved, moved to a different uh, studio location and then had AC problems and just finally finally got it to a place and it's like okay where's jay find that email let's schedule it let's do it let's get it on the books um but i'm flipping it back on you because i know i know that all your audience has probably heard it you know 25 times but i found that we we there's so much that we think that everyone knows right we think that oh everyone knows my origin story of course they know that but people are by and large and rightly so mostly just concerned about themselves and they forget about other people's <laughs> stories, right? People, people forget. Like people aren't paying that close attention. So, I I want to hear because I think there's probably a lot of nuggets in it. What caused you 
to go kind of radio first? And are you actually, you know, on FM radio or is it internet streaming radio? And then, and then what has been your progression? Cause I've seen you're also moving now to video on YouTube. I see you're doing some streaming there. Well, here's the thing. My love for radio has been for a very long period of time. I will tell you probably since the age of eight was wow. probably when I really fell in love with radio per se. And I looked at it from the standpoint of you were able, at least at that time, sitting inside of your sitting inside of the car with my parents. And it's probably one of the most miserable times of the day where you're actually going back and forth between job, school, so on. I mean, they're trying to do the runaround and get you to one place to another. But the person who's in that's actually in charge of the whole environment inside of the vehicle mm. is the person on the radio. Wow. They determine the music that's going on, the mood, and what exactly is going on. And I always looked at it, since I had a better understanding of it, where it's theater of the mind. Yes. They're telling you how great everything is. Yes. They're playing that great jazz music if that's what you're listening to that great pop song that great rock song and they're in controlling the environment mm. if the song sucks they also control that too that's the other bad part <laughs> so i always looked at it from that standpoint i always said i can tell you that i'm doing x y and z but if you can't see me how do you know it's true you're letting me control what you're thinking by listening to what i have to say mm. terrible thing to say out loud but it's the truth that's how i mostly came about and ever since then, I looked at it, I probably changed degrees inside of my career when I was going to school five times, which that's another great episode that you have there in regards of careers and yeah. what a piece of paper is worth, but we can get into that in a few. <laughs> but, I, but I looked at it and I always knew that the love of the radio was there and I was hesitant about doing it because I know that the whole journey starting off was not going to be great. Most people have to start off in a small town, move their way up and so on. Right. And I was hesitant about doing that, especially with some of the stuff that I was looking into doing at the time. But I, I fell in love with it, started doing it probably right before I started college. And the interesting part was that I started doing Christian radio wow. where I was speaking over little clips that were related to sermons and what my viewpoint was you were on them. commentary on sermons, sermon commentary. Yes. That yes. is like so uh, meta. <laughs> that is like you, you you know you have the scripture and then the sermon is like commentary on the scripture and then it's commentary on the commentary on scripture you got it that's exactly that's what it was so it was the, it was it, it was so interesting on how that whole thing worked but i learned so much just being at that radio station um back in back in the time and it was just they let me do a little bit of everything as i was starting off but boy did i learn quickly that was not the genre that i wanted to be in so you actually, so you actually started in old media radio. Not, it's not the just you know, you came onto the scene with new media kind of podcast. You know, just slapping the word FM radio on it like a lot of people do. Um, but you were actually born kind of cut your teeth on real radio, and then that has grown into now you have a syndicate with as you said about seventeen shows. I think that's just incredible. And what I, I really yeah, we, love we about started off, We started off with AM station is really what it boiled down to. I'll even tell you how old it was. It was reel to reel on how you did the editing back then. So wow. that's how old school that was. Wow. Wow. I don't, I don't have any context for that world besides, you know. <laughs> do, do you remember I tape? I, no, I <laughs> the do. Tapes. I'm not that. I'm not that <laughs> so yet. tape, there was this thing. <laughs> and that's what you, and realistically, when you do editing nowadays, it's very simple because you're doing it in 
uh, a DAW, you're doing it in, a, in, yeah. a, in an audio format digitally. Well, you had to actually normally take a you piece of tape. cut tape. Yeah, piece of tape, and you had a small blade, and you would cut it and then move it out and pray to God that you did not cut out a piece of the content that was important and then tape it together, put it into the reel-to-reel and play it again and hope that you didn't have a sh- another edit shortly thereafter. I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, all these kids listening to the show that don't know what you're talking about as they're <laughs> swiping through their TikToks, um, you know, there is a there is a whole other world out there and we should be really grateful for the incredible ease that we live in today but I, I fear at times kind of all of that ease, all of that grease that is um, on, that's greasing the skids of society today. Um, it's having a lot of detrimental effects um, on our, our, our inability to have a sense of perseverance and endurance, on our inability to, to have that sense of grit, to know patience. Now, obviously, it's not everyone. I think this is probably the most um, entrepreneurial generation maybe ever. Um, but at the same time, there seems to be a lot of detrimental side effects to the ease that technology has brought. No, I agree. I agree 100% with you. I mean, and the funny part is that I like how you do that. You insult them, slap them around a little bit, and then bring them back into reality. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But another thing that I really love is how you notice that you, you know, the, the radio announcer, you know, the presenter has this ability to really set culture, to set um, people's days, whether good or bad, and help and influence and in some ways be a friend. I think that's the thing that I love about podcasting. You know, I'm podcast first. Um, I, I, if you could see my whiteboard right now that I'm looking at, um, right there, it says late night talk radio. And, you know, most of the things that are on my board is me kind of backing in from new media podcasting, thinking, okay, how can I do, you know, talk radios similar to what you're doing um, in a way that is consistent more than just once a week or twice a week? How can I build those systems in to actually move to that? Because I think it is such a powerful medium. And one of the reasons why, and which, which I'm sure you agree with and probably talk with your audience about as well. It is, it's you and the listener, right? It's a medium where it's not something that's shared around the television and everyone's kind of commenting. It's, it's, it's such a personal medium, just that voice between my microphone across the airwaves into someone's ears. It feels like that one-to-one conversation. And with that, I feel like the, the conversation becomes so personal. And that's one of the things I, I, I've really come to love in a deep way about podcasting and radio. So where did you fall in love? Let's go through that. How did this come about to you? Where did you decide, okay, I'm going to start a podcast? Where was the love prior to getting to that? Yeah. You know, when I was, I don't know if I was eight, when I was young, <laughs> I wasn't eight, but I, when I was young, I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be a film director. I love story. I love movie. Um, but in that time, I also really hated English literature and I loved mathematics. But I remember watching a movie, it must have been my sophomore year of high school, Finding Forrester. And I remember in this movie, it just came away from the movie so impacted by this young kid's 
desire and drive to learn how to write, to learn how to communicate. And that really was a, a very monumental moment, a shaping moment in my life that really pushed me down um, the path of giving myself to writing, um, communication. And fast forward many, many years, um, I actually had a dream. I had a dream where I started a podcast um, talking with mostly third cultured kids, um, kids who are not kid. When I say kids, I mean like you know p- people in their twenties and thirties. Um, even though I'm in my thirties, it's still I, I'm still a kid, right? So talking <laughs> with third cultured young people and helping navigate their life because I'm I'm a third cultured kid. Which, if for those listening who don't know what it means to be third cultured, it means that you grew up. Um, in an environment, in a surrounding, in a culture that it was different than your parents' culture and the culture of your home. So you become a mix of those two cultures. So moving, growing up, my dad was a pilot. And because of that, we moved around quite a lot. And so I grew up with having one culture in my home and then another culture in the country that I lived in. And I didn't fit in either place. And I developed what was called a third culture and kind of right in the middle of those two and there's a, a whole kind of community of these third cultured kids. And when you meet one, you know they're like, oh man, I'm with my tribe, I'm with my people. I I I'm understood and I understand them in the same moment. So I had this dream um two two plus years ago now, probably two and a half years ago. And so as I started working on, okay, well, what does it mean? How do I start a podcast? Um, I was talking with some other friends. I, I went, I asked myself, okay, who's the smartest person I know? And it was a, a guy who has a PhD from Harvard. And so I talked to him like, how, how do I do this? How can I make an impact? What is the way forward? And he was like, man, forget about all the social media stuff. Start a podcast, start dialogue with people, start conversations with people, long form media, um, persuasion strategy. And so I said, okay, great. That's what I'll do. And so, um, we are now 173 episodes in, two years deep, um, and I feel like I've not even begun to scratch the surface and still figuring it out in so many ways. So when you take a look at that and you look at this whole timeline, so why was Finding Forrester? Now, we're talking 2000 when this movie came out. I think it's like right at 2000. Yeah, yeah. 2000. So that movie comes out. Why does it have such a big influence on you? You know, it's like... You know, like resonating, resonating frequencies, right? Where, mm-hmm. where if a frequency is like resonating, it can like tear down this entire wall because it's creating standing waves. And I think that in in life, there are these divine moments, these divine appointments, is what I call them, where there's these moments where there's this wave that resonates with your 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 purposes, what you were created for. It's like this calling. Um, if, if you will, if I can use that word calling and for whatever reason, that movie struck a chord and it resonated with who I was created to be. Um, I think at least I'd like to think so at least. And of course (laughs) I had a moment, I had a moment there where I could essentially say, ah, screw that. I'm just going to keep on living my loser life. And, And I was living a loser life. I hated myself. I hated everyone else around me. I was I was miserable, self-loathing, you know, typical teenage angst. I could have said, "Eh, 
I don't want to make anything of my life. I'm just angry and bitter. I'm going to stay angry and bitter. But I, I saw in this story something resonate with me that, man, I could become something great. I could tell a story. I could learn how to use words and, and help people and, and communicate something. So I don't, I don't know why. All I know, it just felt like this moment that resonated with me. And I can still remember sitting. I, I, actually, I watched it by myself, I think. And I remember coming away from that movie so inspired that I went to the computer. I was probably up to like 2 a.m. trying to figure out how to write a short story or something. But it, it just had such a profound impact, one of those moments. I don't, I don't know why, but it did. So what country are you living in at the time? At that point, my dad was a pilot in Papua New Guinea. Okay. So how do you go from there then four years later in Colorado, are you doing it online or are you doing it in person? Uh, so, so four, so four years later. So I should no. specify going to college. Let's, let me phrase it that way. <laughs> oh, right, going to college. So, right, <laughs> I started my podcast two years ago. So it's okay. You know, if you, that's a what's that a twenty year gap? No, eighteen year gap. Um, mm-hmm. In university, I was I was studying uh, mathematics, um, and I took some English literature courses, and. I, my whole life growing up, the narrative that I had told myself is that I hate reading, I hate books, I hate English <laughs> literature, I hate language arts. And I just fell in love. These stories just gripped me. The, the ability to articulate and pull out of stories and weave together thoughts um, and arguments, um, motifs, I, I was just so hooked. I loved it. So I changed, I got a math minor instead of a math major, I took the easy road out, went to English literature, um, you know, one of those uh, liberal arts degrees that probably was not worth its weight in gold. But, um, and so it was in that time that I really gave myself to saying, how do I think critically? How do I put together words and arguments in such a way that can be persuasive? And so that was in university. And then it was you know, a long, long way, long path with many turns and twists that aren't necessarily super relevant um, to where, you know, I felt like, hey, I need to, I need to start a podcast. I have something that I need to say. I want to connect with this community. I want to be able to serve this community. And more than that, you know, I want to make an impact in 30, 40 years, like 30 years from now, I want to say, okay, I, I have been able to make some sort of impact on the world. I've been able to help some people in a deep way, not helping many in a shallow way, but how can I help a few people in a significantly deep way that really changes the course of their life, which will in turn change the course of their kids and their grandkids and their great, great, great grandchildren's lives. And that is one of the things I, I try to think about, I think, what can I do today and work on today and invest my life's energy in today so that 300 years from now, I will have made an impact? How can I, how can I think multi-generationally rather than trying to think in shorter and shorter nanoseconds? So when you say that, because here's the interesting part, you recently put out an episode about big decisions. Mm. Yes. But you talk about the small decisions lead to the big decisions. Yes. 
So, so how do you, how do you take that approach then where you want this to be something that has an impact 300 years later? Now, of course, we're assuming at this point, podcast medium has changed. Now it's something entirely different. What do you think you're doing today that will have that impact later down the road? That's a great question. So in that episode, right, I talked just as you say about stop making big decisions in that if we are living our lives and we're constantly coming up to these really big decisions that we feel like they're life altering and, you know, we have to pull out all of our mentors and, you know, take weeks of deliberating and we're just, just filled with anxiety trying to figure out what's the right choice. It's probably a sign that we have deeper underlying system issues that aren't calibrated properly. And so my argument in that, in that episode is, we need to stop worrying about these massive decisions and start worrying about the small systems that we are putting in place in our life on a day-in, day-out basis, which is really going to shape the culture of our life, of our family, of the, the way that we interact with people around us. And if we're shaping the culture of our, our daily life, the small things, those fifteen, like that 15-minute period when you come home from work, what does that look like? What does putting your kids down to bed look like? Is that a pleasurable experience for you? You know, these small 15, 30-minute periods of life really add up to a significant portion of our life. If we can make good, small decisions there, that will have actually such a greater impact on the whole of our life rather than trying to figure out, you know, whatever, which degree should I get or which car should I buy? Um, and so, and then with that, to come back to the second part of your question, by making those small decisions, I then am able to set a, a culture within my life, within my family. And that culture that I set is going to have an impact on my kids. My kids are going to pick up that culture. The people that I interact with, the, the listeners, of the show, they're going to pick up the culture. And as they pick up that culture, they're transformed in a deep way. So rather than just, you know, quick hacks and tips, it's how can we get a transformative long-term persuasion strategy that is helping people so that it creates a cascading domino effect that even though my name will probably be forgotten in 300 years. I mean, really, when we th even when we think of like Plato, when we think of like Alexander the Great, we know their names and we know what they've done, but we don't know who they are. And what most of us, I think all of us, are probably really longing for when we're longing for that, that worldly aspiration to want to put a dent on the universe, to want to make an impact and a change. We want people to remember us. We want people to know who we are. We want, we're searching and we're desperate to be and feel loved. And I know that my name will probably not be remembered, but if I can have an impact on my circle around me, which is going to have the effect of them having an impact on the circle around them, that I can leave a lasting impact and a lasting legacy um, with my life, even if my name is forgotten. And it probably will be. I don't know my great, great, great grandfather's <laughs> name. Oh, I don't either, or my own either. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me ask you a question then, r real quick. You did use a word there, and some people might take it the wrong way when you say 
persuasion. Mm. Absolutely. And you, you, and you know that that's going to throw some people off right away. So I just want to make sure that we give a clear understanding on what you mean by that. So, so when, when you hear that word, what do you, what comes to your mind? The negative kind of, kind of, Oh, what does he mean there? No, you, you know, automatically that most people are going to make the assumption that you're trying to manipulate the way they think. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I would say absolutely hundred percent, you are correct. And this is, this is the thing. Every single interaction that you have with every single individual TV show, advertisement, product, can of water or soda, everything is trying to influence the way that you think. Because our thoughts produce our feelings, our feelings produce our actions, and our actions produce our thoughts. The things that we think shape our lives. Every corporation, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the DNC, the RNC, uh, the UN, the EU, they are all working to influence the way that we think. Our spouse, our kids, we are, it's, you know, we're, uh, that's that book by Dan Pink. Um, you're always, don't say that out loud that your spouse is trying to influence the way you think. I I would never (laughs) say that to my wife. I might end up outside. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I, I mean, I think absolutely. I mean, we're always selling whether it's we want we want people to live healthier lifestyle whether it's we want people to buy our product whether we want people to be more safe in their their organizations whether it's you know having a, a better organization to have employees that are more empathetic towards one another every everything that we do um in some way shape or form is persuasion and i think the 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 danger that many people live in is the unawareness of the systems that are, are that are at work that are shaping the way that we think. Um, you know, I've been talking about this on lots of different episodes. It feels like recently on on Instagram, recently in in with my family, recently Netflix, right? This new show that they have that are, is out, Cuties. It's it's influencing the way that we think. It's desensitizing us to child pornography. It's desensitizing us to pedophilia. And now we can, it's this flashpoint moment in culture where everyone's, you know, either fighting for it or fighting against it. And, but I think the important thing to realize is we have gotten to this place because there's been many, many, many other dominoes that has been set up you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago that have slowly moved that Overton window to change the way that we think, to change what's acceptable to talk about in society, to change the way that we think relationships should happen. I was just reading this article comparing the 1950s to 2020, and it is shocking just looking at the suicide rates, um, just the homelessness, the, the difference in America between 1950 and 2020 should shock us to realize that something has changed in the fabric of our society and we should be startled. Now, when you say that and you take a look at some of this stuff, especially referencing cuties, um, of course, one can sit here and we can talk about what most people perceive about the movie, Mm -hmm. but we can also discuss what the director is claiming, but I don't think people want that kind of detail at the moment. Correct. But what I'm thinking as we talk about this, 
as you see the changes between the 1950s to the 2020s and something like the movie cuties as an example, we'll just talk the overlay portion. Do you see this being a issue with family values Uh, that has caused this? I mean, I think it'd be hard to say no. and, And this is why I think as parents and as families, I think in so many ways we have we have abdicated our responsibility and we have abdicated it to the public school system. We have abdicated it to television and media. We have allowed um, MTV, we have allowed Nickelodeon to tell our kids the culture that they should have, the what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. And so um, I think in, in many ways, yes, family values, and I think in many ways, parental responsibility. Um, I've been actually thinking about this question for a coming episode and thinking, okay, what, what, what has happened between 1950 and 2020? Like what are some of the kind of the, the, the keystone events in American history that has caused that? Um, and I haven't fully developed those thoughts. So I don't, I feel like if I would say something, I would probably end up walking it back in my mind at least a couple <laughs> weeks later. But, but some of the things I would feel comfortable with, with saying is, you know, shows like Two and a Half Men, shows like Friends, shows like um, whether it's Seinfeld or um, Third Rock from the Sun, you know, these sitcoms in so many ways opened that Overton window and allowed us to laugh at things that before were socially unacceptable. And what one generation laughs at, the next generation embraces. And so if you look over time, as how people have begun to accept things and laugh at things in society that um, are really damaging to some members in that society. Um, We begin to embrace it and then it becomes normalized. And then we need that dopamine hit. And so we have to continue and continue to push the envelope. I mean, even um, Game of Thrones, I haven't watched it, but the things that I've heard about it is it's essentially watching porn. And so when, when that has become so normalized within society and within culture, the only logical conclusion, the only logical conclusion would be a film like a series like Cuties in my mind. And it, because it's that Overton window that is keeping on shifting and moving. So as you say this, and you know that some of the shows you reference are quote unquote staples in the American series TV scenario. And I'll tell you a good chunk of those that you've mentioned. I don't, I think I might've caught one or two episodes. I've never watched Game of Thrones. I've only heard rumor sequences and things along those lines. Likewise. But do you, like, do you take a look at this and do you go back and go, this is related in in just in general, of course, Mm. where people will put their children in front of a television to make that be the babysitter? Because that was a big thing, especially late 90s, early 2000s. I'm not passing judgment, believe me. I think that it just seemed to be like a common theme that people were seeing. Right. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I think that parents put their kids in front of Game of Thrones in the last 10 years as a babysitter. And that's sensitive. <laughs> I hope not. But I think, right, what, what we, like what we are embracing through that acceptance in the culture, that is going to have an outplay as those people are are creating and saying what is our moral standards and that is affecting the next generation. I think, um, you know, for sure, even in some ways, 
we put our kids in front of a screen to babysit them for, you know, two hours a day. And, you know, sure that you can say, well, they're watching magic school bus, you know, they're, they're young seven to one, you know, sure. They're watching magic school bus and educational stuff, but still there, there is a, there's a cultural, um, encoded message that says people like us do things like this. This is how we act in the world. This is acceptable and this is normal. And I, I can probably say I'm, probably don't audit um, all the shows on Netflix that my kids are watching and, and, you know, enough as I should. And then you look at um, how kids these days are being introduced to pornography at as early as eight years old, addicted to pornography at eight years old, which is highly destructive to, you know, the dopamine patterns in kids' minds and can cause erectile dysfunction and all these unhealthy physically unhealthy patterns in their life and abuse um, at such an early age, especially with the birth of the phone and digital media. And, you know, you go on YouTube and you're like three clicks away from being on a porn site. And so I don't necessarily, I'm not throwing all the the blame on parents. Um, I think that society has rapidly changed and we need to think of okay, are we putting screens in front of our kids? And if we are, what is what is the lasting consequences of that 20 years down the road? But we could almost play devil's advocate here. And I'm totally. not going to say that what, what we're doing is porn, but we're also looking for people to access a digital screen to listen to what we're doing. I, and so I, how, do you, how, do, how do you look at that then? So, so I, like, I like this question. Here, you know, we live, we live in um, the Middle East. And when I looked at the statistics of the Middle East, um, the ages of 15 to 22 probably are on screens nine hours a day. Nine hours a day, they're on their smartphone, right? And they're just, you know, unsupervised doing whatever. So I look at that as an opportunity. Um, I think that we need to engage if we want to see something shift, well, we're not going to do it by just backing off and disengaging and saying like, well, I guess the world's going to hell in a handbasket, Betsy, and, <laughs> you know, let's dig the bunker and, you know, buy a bunch of canned food. Like, okay. There, that, there are some people that are doing that. Okay. I just want to throw that out It there. is 2020. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's one way. The other way is, okay, well, if, if this is where the attention is, if this is where the eyeballs are, even though these platforms are so highly addictive, like they are there. If I can interrupt them with what they are consuming, that could be toxic. Maybe I could interrupt them and maybe that interruption could be a trigger point, just like finding Forrester was a piece of media in, in an age where, I mean, yeah, I was at that age, I was even, I was in, ICQ chat rooms and I was, you know, emailing my friends and on MSN and AOL, you know, so the internet was being born, but I was consuming a piece of media and that piece of media had a profound impact on my life. And so, you know, I like the devil's advocate question. And I think the answer would be just as finding Forrester had a huge impact on my life, maybe I could create a piece of content, one piece of content that one person hears, and that has a profound impact on his life or her life, and she decides 
to make a different decision and go a different path in a different way. And that could and that would be enough. Now, when you do some of your shows, and I want to ask this because of some of the topics that you cover and you as a person, do you see your show and some of the topics you cover and yourself as a controversial figure? Um, you know what? I think there's a lot of things that I cover that you're so, you're so kind on how you word that. There's a a whole lot of stuff that you cover in 173 episodes. It's, I mean, it's a pretty big gamut of stuff that you're covering. I'm not going to say that, I, you know, that I did not actually go through your whole catalog. You know, I don't want to admit that on the air or anything. <laughs> that I would be, so, I don't know if I've even gone through, my, I mean, I have gone through my whole catalog. I, I edit all my stuff, but um, I don't see myself as a controversial figure. I, I, I don't set out to be a controversial figure when I'm, having episodes with interviews, I often kick myself afterwards because I strayed away from the obvious hard question, like the deer in the headlight question, put them on the spot, um, sort of hardball interview. Um, So I'm not, my aim is not to be a, a controversial figure, but when I look at the content, it is definitely countercultural. Um, Especially with what's out there um, today, the things that. So I, in other words, you're. So in other words, you're a controversial figure. If it's counter-cultural, you know that. <laughs> yeah, you're a smart guy. I mean, so I, here's can t- I can. I t- <laughs> So here's. I like. I like it. I like you, Jay. Here's the thing, Jay. I, I agree with you. And here's the the scary thing to admit. I probably but on the smart guy piece. Is that what you're agreeing on? I mean, that's kind of sorry. <laughs> I probably pull 95% of my punches. Like that's scary <laughs> Like for being a culture. And I, I mean, obviously some of the stuff, you know, in the recent months, I think I've been a little bit more forthright um, and a little bit more articulate in some of it, but I still think, I am hedging a lot of of what I'm saying because I'm still trying to operate within that Overton window. I don't want to just, you know, cut all of my audience out. But I often wonder, I'm like, man, am I just half pregnant? Am I just half pregnant right now? <laughs> and it would actually like do better if I was maybe more political or I do better if I was maybe more controversial. I do better if I, you know, talked more about aliens and ET or something like that. You know, if I was more on the fringe would I actually do better? So I think, you know, to answer your question, like, yes, I talk about a lot of controversial stuff. I'm not setting out to be um, a controversial figure as far as, um, you know, trying to rile stuff up. Um, and because of that, I feel like I, I am half pregnant. And I, in some ways, I wish that I would push the envelope. Well, I mean, the clips that sometimes you choose for your video sequences, and I'm going to tell you the ones that I've seen on social media, Mm. they're very thought-provoking, and they are controversial to an extent, even the clips that you use. And I love when you do the little pen gimmick, where you have the pen in the hand when you're doing that. (laughs) I have a a pencil in my hand right now, a pen, a pencil in my hand right now. And this actually, you know, going all the way back to high school, I have had this model pencil, it's it's a mechanical pencil, from my high school days, and I love this pencil so much, I went online, found it, and I ordered um, 20 of this pencil because it is just such an epic pencil. But yeah, that's a sidebar. Uh, I, I'm thinking sponsorship here. I'm thinking sponsorship. You right? know what? I think the pencil's discontinued. 
That is so sad. <laughs> like radio and tape. Um, so, that, that, oh, that hurt. That hurt. Oh, I'm, so, I'm in so much pain. Um, I mean, I'm glad that the, the clips that I post are controversial. I, I'm hoping that it's going to cause people – like I try to post the clips that pe- are going to cause people to stop and think and hopefully have a conversation and share it and go and listen. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad. Well, I mean, I, I look at it that you're doing, you're doing the right thing because the whole setup, I don't think that when people hear your voice, they don't, they're not expecting to see what they see if, when they get to the video. What, what, you, what, what does my and, voice sound like? Well, what, well let me explain because here, let me explain. I don't expect with a guy with business attire telling me some of the things that you say. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But there's some controversy on some of the stuff that you say. Like, let's go to some of the recent stuff. Let's go. Especially when you're talking about the online degree and how it's not so mm. important to have the name of the school on there. Well, so you're not expecting somebody in a business suit telling you that you're expecting the person in the business t- suit to tell you how important is that school that's on the, uh, that's on that document, 100%. but the, the angle and how you, on the angle and how you did it too, of who's the schooling really for. And I mean, I don't want to give away the whole episode, of course, well, 100%. but how you did that is really smart. hundred percent. So who's it for and what's it for? And so if you're, if the question I received was what, what do you think the value of an online degree is? And so I had to stop and think, I'm like, okay, well, online degree, what's the value of a degree? And I think right now, especially um, in many ways, the, the learning that we receive from a degree isn't necessarily super valuable, but the branding that we get from a stamp on a sheet of paper is valuable. Is that value going to inflate over time and actually not mean as much? I think so. And I think we're already beginning to see the inflation of some of these brand schools, which I still feel like they carry a lot of weight. You know, someone going to Harvard, you know, a top name school is going to carry a lot of weight, but someone not and still paying a bunch of money, how important is it? And then it goes back to your goals of, well, what, like, why are you going? Are you going to actually learn something? Are you going because you want to learn? Or are you going because you want a sheet of paper? And and I think that really does affect the way that we would make that decision. Um, but yeah, so I wear a suit. And I wear a suit because, one, I, I love the way that I feel in a suit. And I, I love the presentation that it brings. But you're right in so many ways. A lot of what I talk about seems like I should, you know, have, you know, a peace sign over my shoulder and wearing a tie-dye <laughs> shirt and, like you know, being like the third eye sort of controversial. Well, we don't know if you have and pants on, so let's, we'll, we'll leave it at that. We don't I know do. if you have pants on. We don't know, but I do. <laughs> so let me ask a question, and this one is something that I've been interested on your perspective on. Mm. What do you think about this whole thing with cancel culture? Cancel culture. Um, can you can you elaborate a little bit more on the on the so the so so let's we'll use we'll use an example here. So let's say for instance, I don't like what you're doing on your show. Yeah. So people start making posts that no one should listen to your shows going forward mm. because you have said something that's offensive. So now we're canceling you out of society. Mm. No one should do business with you. No one should listen to what you have going on. So now, that kind so that's now, that kind of aspect. So now, Jay. Do you, can I pay you to make these posts? Because I think it would really help my show. 
if you just if <laughs> no, you but, spent but, like but, many episodes just bashing my show, I think that would like be great publicity. <laughs> well, I have some ideas, but we'll talk about that after we're done. So, um, yeah, I think I think cancel culture on a whole is is toxic. Um, I think freedom of speech is freedom of speech. People should be able to have the freedom to express what they think and want. With that, if I don't like your show, I think I should have the right to tell my friends, hey, I don't like Jay's show. You shouldn't like it either. And I'm going to block them. Like, that's my, like, sure, go ahead and do that. Like, whatever. I think where it becomes problematic is where, um, which is what we have recently seen, where uh, a journalist posts something in the New York Times and he loses his job, right? Or, you know, I think when people are losing their jobs over something that they say because the mob goes after them and cancels them, um, that's where I think it's it gets pretty childish. I think that's where, I think that's a good word for it. I think it just feels very immature and childish. I feel like... Um, People haven't learned how to have a conversation where we disagree, but we can still have a conversation around the topic that we're talking about, not just slandering the other person's name and calling the names and actually avoiding the facts and the information at hand. And so while at the same time, I, I can see on the the other side of cancel culture, cancel culture, where where people are also trying to block people out of the media or censor people out of the media. So I, I, I think it's uh, right now, at least um, in the the politics of America, I think it's kind of a two-way street that's going on. And I think that we need to have more civil discourse of disagreement where people come together and and they're able to have a healthy, mature adult relationship where we talk about issues and figure out how we can solve these issues together. So do you think that we've become too politically correct then? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think political correctness is just, um, you know, I, I am, I'm not (laughs) a fan of political correctness. I think it, it is a strategy to limit freedom of speech. Um, and this is something I've been kicking around. So I may walk this back, uh, but here's, you know, a thought to run with me. On um, September the 22nd, this is what we decided to go with here. Okay, now we're in the clear. The jury is still out. <laughs> okay, hate crime. By the very definition, hate crime is an oxymoron. If I commit a crime, clearly there is hate involved. Clearly there is, is dislike involved. And so the fact that someone can commit a hate crime is an oxymoron because all of a sudden we're, we're assigning some sort of extra special thing on it because of an intent, an intent that we can't necessarily perceive or know. So I think if someone kills someone, that's a, you know, if someone murders someone, that is a crime. And why should it, why should a person get a bigger sentence if it was done with hate in their heart? Because obviously it was done with hate in their heart. And so 
where I'm going with that connected to, to PC um, culture is we have all of a sudden started laying on um, really what is, you know, uh, critical race theory, intersectionality, um, cultural postmodernism, whatever you want to call it, um, that was intentionally designed out of Marxism to undermine the morality and under, undermine the system of America. And this is well-documented. It's not even like conspiracy theory. It's well-documented saying that if we can create a racial division using minorities as the power play rather than the bourgeoisie over the proletariat, then we can undermine the, the social fabric of America. And if it's divided, it can't stand. And that's where I feel that we're at, that this, what we're seeing today was not something that was an accident. It wasn't something that just happened back to this persuasion thing. It was that there were people with nefarious plans and they played the long game and they said, you know what, if we set up these systems, these plans, if we infiltrate the education system, if we infiltrate the judicial system, if we infiltrate media and we can undermine the moral fabric of society, if we can set up a welfare system, if we can undermine that moral fabric, then everything will fall apart on itself and they will destroy themselves. And I feel like that's what we're seeing. We're seeing such a terror in our culture and it really saddens me. And I, I really do pray that we can we can find uh, restoration and reconciliation in the fabric of our nation moving forward. You see what I'm saying when I tell you that you talk about controversial subjects? I totally see what you mean. <laughs> Jay, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so grateful that you brought me onto your show to talk about controversial subjects. Oh, I love it. You know, you know that I do. Now, Lucas, if people want to know about your book that you did not mention and where to get the podcast, where can they go? You know what? My book is... Uh, anchored the discipline to stop drifting. I wrote that in a time of my life where everything was drifting. I was about 25. Um, I just, I felt like I was moving up the, the, the food chain and stepping into greater things. And I found myself flat on my face, realizing that I was busy and not productive and all of my metrics were just broken. So it's really a, a, a book um, with some very simple principles really geared towards kind of university, post-university um, kids who are grappling and wrestling with trying to get some traction in their life to be able to take action and move forward to achieve their dreams. Um, my podcast is The Lucas Scrobot Show, and you can find that uh, wherever podcasts are found um, at Lucas Scrobot, L-U-C-A-S-S-K-R-O-B-O-T. That's S-K-Robot. Yes, it's Polish. I'm Polish and proud of it. Um, so how many Polacks does it take to listen to a podcast? Well, it takes one to make one and you to listen. So roll on over to lucasrobot.com or, um, anywhere your podcasts are found and you can find me there. And I love getting questions. Um, I need more questions, Jay. How do you get more questions? Um, so send me you, questions. You have to get, you, you, I, I normally tell people we, you have to do giveaways. Giveaways drive questions. Well, it always does. Guess what? I am doing giveaways. <laughs> if you, Jay, guess what? If you answer, ask a question, Jay, and it gets played on my show, I will send you this amazing sticker pack. One of the sticker packs is this picture of a whole bunch of little grocers. And one of them, they're all red. 
and say unite, and one of them's green. And it's the story of the green grocer. And what I love about all my stickers is that they're stories. And that there's stories. Do you, do you that, want to hear something sad? Do you want to hear something sad? I want it's to episode it. 150. It's episode 155. It is episode 155. <laughs> I'm glad yep. that you remember. I forgot. Um, no, you did not. <laughs> no, I do. I always have to look up that one. Um, and the story of the Green Crozier, episode 155, it's this, the story of saying, don't go along with group think. All you have to do is stand up and think for yourself. And, and that's the goal of my show. If I had an objective of my show, one objective, it would be if I can provoke people to ask questions and seek out truth for themselves, not just going with the, the majority saying, not just going what they've been told they need to believe, but really earnestly with their whole heart, seek out truth to, to understand how the world operates and how they are to live in the world, not trying to change it, but just understanding the reality that we live in, waking up to reality, that's a win for me. So if you ask a question on my show, I will send you some stickers. Now, do you reference the the 155 episode on the sticker, if you don't mind me asking? I, I do not. It is, I, when I thought of, when I had all these stickers designed, I thought of how can these stickers tell a story? Because I, I don't like, I don't, I'm not a big sticker person. And I'm not a big like brand. I'm not going to stick a, your brand name on my, you know, Nalgene bottle or something. But I <laughs> would put a sticker that tells a story that means something to me. So when I designed all these stickers, I said, how can I tell a story that means something to someone else to remind them of a story, a principle that they want to live by, that they would put on something and then tell their friends about it. They're going to remember that it's, from my show. And I see a, I see a QR code in the future that goes directly to the episode. You know what? That's a great idea. If I could just like <laughs> bake that in. You could, I we could. can talk about it. <laughs> well, Lucas, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. It really does mean, mean a lot to me. I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me. Well, this brings another episode of the Jay Allen show to an end. For more information about Lucas Scrobot, go to lucasscrobot.com. Keep in mind that his podcast is available and so is his video cast or video channel, however you want to word it. Anyways, I thought Lucas was a great interviewee and interviewer overall. Hopefully you enjoyed your time with us here today. Anyways, if you want for more information on what's going on here at Safety FM, go to safetyfm.com. Thank you for always being best part of Safety FM, and that is the listener. Safety FM is the home of real safety talk. This will bring this episode of The Jay Allen Show to an end. Like I always tell you, goodbye for now, and don't worry, we'll be back in no time with another episode. See you then. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.